Welcome to the Notes by Your Music Artist Impact Podcast, helping you gain confidence, grow your talent, and advance your impact. Here's your host, Nate Miller. And welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Artist Impact Podcast. Boy, that was a great start, wasn't it? I am your host, Nate Miller, and I'm so glad to have you guys back with me for another episode um, we're going to talk about some great stuff here, some interesting things, hopefully. Um, it's all interesting, but I hope some of this will be of use to you guys and maybe a little bit of entertainment and uh, informative as well. We, we like to, to help you guys have a greater impact at what God has called you to do in your music and your music ministry. Uh, like I said, my name is Nate Miller. I'm your host. Um, Paul Gibbs will be back with us shortly, but uh, let's, let's dive into this episode. We're going to start with a little bit of... Um, what happened on this day in music? So as I'm recording this, it is uh, June 21st. So let's look at what, what else happened on this day in years past. Um, let's start with uh, Elliot Roberts. Anybody recognize that name? So this is 2019, just uh, what four years ago. Um, American music manager and record executive Elliot Roberts died age 76. He is best known for helping to start and develop the careers of singer-songwriters from the late 1960s and 70s, including those of Neil Young, very famous, well-known artist, whom he managed for over 50 years, and also Joni Mitchell. Wow, so died at age 76 in 2019 on this day. Um, really great career managing some really well-known artists. Okay, uh, what else? Let's see. Wayne Jackson. How about that name? Is that name familiar? 2016 on this day. Trumpeter Wayne Jackson, who formed the Memphis Horns duo with saxophonist Andrew Love, died of congestive heart failure at the age of 74. Wow, okay, so Elliot Roberts died at 76 and Wayne Jackson at 74 on this day. Um, Jackson and Love played together on, get this, 52 number one songs, supporting the likes of Elvis Presley, Neil Diamond, Otis Redding, Al Green, Aretha Franklin, Peter Gabriel, and even the Doobie Brothers. So, yet another illustrious career there as a musician. Wow, that's 52 number one songs he got to play on. That's that's incredible. Um, here's, here's one that's pretty interesting. So, on this day in 2015, so June 21st, 2015, Apple Music was forced to reverse its payment, payment policy a day after Taylor Swift said she was refusing to allow the company to stream her latest album, 1989. In an open letter to Apple, Swift, Taylor Swift said she was withholding the record as she was unhappy with Apple's three-month free trial offered to subscribers, saying, quote, We don't ask you for free iPhones. Please don't ask us to provide you with our music for no compensation, unquote. Apple now said it would pay artists for music streamed during trial periods. This, this is pretty interesting. I don't remember this um, off the top of my head, but so apparently at, back at that, at that time in 2015, Apple was giving new subscribers three, three months free as a trial. And uh, so Taylor Swift said, fine, I'm not releasing my latest album on the Apple, Apple Music platform because she's saying, in effect, for three months, people are going to have free unfettered access to this album they're going to be able to listen to it stream it you know possibly even download it for free until that trial ends and so it was really maybe it wasn't just her but it was 
um, based on her pushback to Apple that forced them to to change their payment policy. So they were basically saying they they were going to pay artists even during that free three month free trial for their subscribers. So really interesting stuff. I mean that that just goes to show you the power that Taylor Swift and her music had um, even just a few years ago to force one of the giants like that Apple Music to change their policies. <laughs> Pretty impressive. All right, so these all were for just from a few uh, years ago. Let's find something that's a little bit older here. Again, this is I'm recording this on June 21st. How about 1986 and the band Genesis? Anybody familiar with them? Uh, how about Phil Collins? He was a great drummer and also... Uh, singer, frontman for the band Genesis. So June 21st, 1986, it says, Genesis scored their fourth UK number one album with their 13th studio album, Invisible Touch. Oh yeah, I, I remember that song. That was a great song. Um, but there's also the name of the album, apparently. It remained in the charts for 96 weeks, making it the most commercially successful album of their career, eventually selling over 15 million copies worldwide and produced five U.S. top singles, including the title track. Okay, so yeah, Invisible Touch was the title track of that album. Um, I probably have heard all five of those top singles that came out from that album. I just don't remember them off the top of my head. But yeah, Genesis was a great band, um, a lot of good music from them. And so this particular album came out in 1986, so we're talking mid to late 80s. And um, again, I, I loved Genesis music back then. Um, really big impact, I think, on the music scene and on, probably on me as well, if I think about it. Um, I, I was a big lover of pop music growing up and so very familiar with their songs and that's, uh, that's a cool little bit of history. But uh, let's switch, so this was all secular music, let's switch to a little bit of Christian music and I got a couple cr uh, trivia questions for you guys here related to Christian music. So um, I'll give you three questions here, and then later on in the program, we'll see if you guys have the answers, okay? All right, so the first one, nicknamed the Sgt. Pepper of Christianity, so it's a little play on the Beatles album, the Sgt. Pepper um, in the Lonely Heart Band, um, nicknamed the Sgt. Pepper of Christianity, this classic recording launched Christian rock back in 1969. Okay, so what classic recording from 1969 launched Christian rock, I guess, as a genre, and it was nicknamed the Sgt. Pepper of Christianity. So there's your first question. Okay, how about question number two? This group was affectionately nicknamed the Yellow and Black Attack due to their bumblebee-colored spandex outfits. <laughs> oh my goodness. This group was affectionately nicknamed the Yellow and Black Attack due to their bumblebee-colored spandex outfits. Okay. I remember this band. I remember the yellow and black attack, but the bumblebee colored spandex outfits. Oh my goodness, that that's classic, and that's definitely a sign of the times. So, uh, what group was that? Um, think about that. I'm sure you're probably already googling it if you don't know the answer. But uh, we'll we'll give you the answer here in a couple of minutes. Okay, I'll give you one more question here. There's the third question. My father's eyes brought this teenager into the Christian music spotlight back in the 70s. Okay, so what teenage Christian artist back in the 1970s was brought into the spotlight with the song My Father's Eyes? I think that one's pretty well known, but uh, maybe some of you aren't familiar with that. 
So those are the three questions I have for you guys. Take a take a moment to think about that. You're probably, like I said, using your phones already to check Google. But uh, we'll give you the answers for those in a, just a few minutes on the program. We're going to take a quick break, and I'll be right back to talk about some interesting news related to Twitter and the music industry. Be right back. All of the podcasts produced at Notespire Music, as well as portions of the programming on WNSMDB, Notespire Radio, are sponsored by O'Brien Custom Guitars in York, Pennsylvania. At O'Brien Custom Guitars, they build guitars, basses, lap steels, and cigar box guitars specifically crafted to each individual customer's specifications. And they perform repairs, modifications, and setups using high-quality hardware, electronics, and materials. For a custom quote or more info, contact Sean at O'Brien Custom Guitars at gmail.com. That's O'Brien Custom Guitars at gmail.com. And by singer, songwriter, worship leader, and author Pauline Williams. Her latest devotional book is called Road to Life. And you can hear Pauline's podcast, The Daily Walk, on your favorite podcast site. Find out more at her website, paulinesmusic.com. That's paulinesmusic.com. And by Eric Rapp Music. Eric is a singer and songwriter from Pennsylvania, USA, and has been sharing his music for the Lord for over 40 years. His mission is to convey the good news to everyone, to encourage believers, and to help those who are disadvantaged, discouraged, and beaten down to find hope, joy, and peace. In addition to his solo shows, his work with the Save a Life Tour and All Saints Evangelistic Movement helps reach out to those in need in the inner cities. Visit Eric Rapp at his Facebook and Reverb Nation pages at Eric Rapp Music. We thank these folks for their partnership and support. To find out how you can advance your impact by becoming a sponsor of Notespire Music, visit our website at notespiremusic.com. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Artist Impact Podcast. So before the break, I said we were going to talk about Twitter um, related to the music industry. And you know, on one of our recent podcasts, we just talked about um, the effect of AI, the effect that AI, artificial intelligence, is having on the music industry, and particularly in um, copyright infringement cases, and what groups like um, ASCAP and BMI are doing in order to help their members and their creators to protect their music. So we got kind of a related um, copyright infringement article um, related to the social media platform of Twitter. So anybody out there, any of the, our listeners who are musicians or artists, are you using Twitter to promote your music? Um, so I'm curious to see if this article, if you're aware of what's going on with this, and if you've been, um, if you've had any experience with this, or if you've seen this happening. So this article was published by um, Murray Stassen um, on June 14th, so just a few days ago from when I'm re recording this. And it says, Twitter has been hit with a multi-million dollar lawsuit in the state of ten Tennessee alleging rampant infringement of copyrighted music on its platform. So again, lawsuit um, issued in the state of Tennessee against the social media platform Twitter uh, against rampant infringement of copyrighted music. So let's dive into this article and see what it's saying about this. So it says 17 entities behind the litigation include prominent independent music publishers as well as Sony Music Publishing, 
Universal Music Publishing Group, and Warner Chapel Music. Okay, so those are three big names in the music industry, not just the independent music publishers, but Sony, Universal, and Warner um, are part of this litigation against Twitter. Their complaint seeks over $250 million in damages for what they're saying is hundreds of thousands of alleged infringements of, of approximately 1,700 works. Wow. So that's a lot of alleged of infringements, and they're asking for over $250 million in damages from Twitter. Uh, let's, let's read on. The, uh, the, the complaint says, Twitter fuels its business with countless infringing copies of musical compositions, violating publishers and others' exclusive rights under copyright law. Okay, so that's the complaint that's been filed against Twitter. They continue, while numerous Twitter com competitors respect the need for proper licenses and agreements for the use of musical compositions on their platforms, Twitter does not and instead breeds massive copyright infringement that harms music creators. Okay, so the people behind this litigation are singling out Twitter and saying that their their competitors, which I'm guessing are going to be like Facebook, Instagram, maybe some others, they're saying their competitors are doing what's needed to respect copyrights of creators, but Twitter alone, according to this article and the quote from the litigation, Twitter alone is being singled out for not doing anything and actually breeding massive copyright infringement. Uh, the lawsuit names Elon Musk's X Corp, uh, the company that currently owns and operates Twitter platform, as the only defendant. So when I first saw this article, I was wondering if this might have been um, an allegation just against uh, Elon Musk because he currently owns Twitter. But um, as I read on, I, I saw that this these allegations against Twitter solely as a platform have actually been going on for um, quite a few years, and even before Elon acquired the company recently. So it, it wasn't just an attack personally on him or you know his organization or his company. This is specifically being aimed at Twitter. It just so happens that Elon Musk currently owns Twitter. So you got to wonder um, what how he feels about this. Well, let's see. Um, commenting on the lawsuit in a statement on Wednesday, which would be June 14th, uh, it says David Israelite, CEO of the National Music Publishers Association, or NMPA, said, stated the following. Twitter stands alone as the largest social media platform that has completely refused to license the millions of songs on its service. He added, Twitter knows full well that music is leaked, launched, and streamed by billions of people every day on its platform. No longer can it hide behind the DMCA and refuse to pay songwriters and music publishers. Now, I, I find this really interesting because I have to admit to you guys, to our listeners, that I haven't used Twitter in years. It has to be at least 10 years, maybe more. Um, early on when Twitter was like just kind of out there and becoming popular, I created an account. Um, I used it a little bit, but like it really didn't interest me. Um, you know, sort of just like the text-based messaging posts that it had uh, because I also had a Facebook and um, LinkedIn and some other um, social media platforms. And I noticed that a lot of the musicians that I would follow would just post the same thing to all platforms. So I'd follow a musician and I would get the same exact posts word for word verbatim on Facebook and um, LinkedIn and Twitter. And I was like, why am I following these people on all these different platforms and just seeing the same content? Now, some artists are good. They give unique content to each platform. And that's a way to encourage 
their fans to follow them on all these different platforms. And uh, but some of some of the people I knew, they they just were kind of cookie cutter type of posts on all all these platforms. And I don't know, Twitter just didn't interest me. Um, I I see its relevance, but again, I it was just like these short. Back then, it was what 140 characters you were limited to. I think it's more than that now, but it was just text based posting and. It just wasn't of interest to me personally, so I kind of stopped using it. But I'm really curious for you guys that are currently using this, especially our listeners. If you are musicians or artists who are using Twitter to promote your music, um, are you are you really uploading music on on this platform? Um, I I kind of I don't think of Twitter as a music platform, and maybe that's just showing my ignorance or my age again because I haven't used it in so long, but um. that sort of surprises me. So I would love to hear from you, our listeners. If you are using Twitter to promote your music, email us at info at notespiremusic.com and let us know. Let us know how you guys are using Twitter successfully to promote your music. I would love to hear more about that. Uh, So let's continue. It says, Twitter, unlike rivals like, okay, so they're mentioning Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, does not have licensing deals in place with major music companies. Um. Again, so they're, they're singling out Twitter versus other platforms that, such as Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok and just saying that they, they don't have deals with these music labels, uh, whereas the other ones do. Um, this might be some of the reasons why I, I've seen certain videos on Facebook getting either um, shut down or the audio has been muted. Um, we've run into that with our um, with the Just Got Music Hour, that one of our three podcasts here at Nitspire Music. Um, Paul used to go live on Facebook when he was recording this podcast, and um, it, it's completely, it's only independent musicians' music that he's playing, but um, some of them, I I don't know, I guess due to copyright possibility, you know, the possibility of copyright infringement, Facebook would actually mute the audio, and so Paul ended up, stopped, he stopped going live when he was recording it because, you know, it just got to be ridiculous after a while. You know, having just the video there and no audio, um, it really was no point to post that. But um, so that would make sense. Someone like Facebook, they're trying to protect themselves from litigation, and they do have agreements. Um, apparently, according to this article, as, as well as Instagram and TikTok and other users or other platforms are um, do have licensing deals, and that's probably why artists and producers like us are running into problems like that on these platforms but twitter they're singling out they're saying does not have these agreements it says twitter stores and gives the public access to a large amount of copyright protected content and it and is a major platform for distributing infringing music content both audio and video so again i i really i don't think of twitter as um, when i think of twitter i'm not thinking about audio or video um I, I kind of remember, again, back in the early days, like even posting a picture was sort of like inconvenient and unwieldy. Like you'd post a link and would like open like a sub program or a sub page and then you could look at the, the photo. Like it just wasn't made for that. It was it was just text based messaging. And again, it's probably because I haven't used it in so long and it's probably completely different. Well, it must be completely different now. So this is saying both audio and video is being distributed and that's where the issue is, that it's it's infringing on music content and copyright. So again, I find this interesting. Um, 
again, I don't, I don't think of audio and video when I think of Twitter, but if you guys are out there and you are using this to post audio and video of your music, let us know. Info at notespiremusic.com. would love to know more about how you're using Twitter to promote yourself. So the article continues. In 2021, a bipartisan group of over, and I think it's missing a number here because it doesn't say how many, U.S. lawmakers sent a letter to then-CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey. Okay, so this is before Elon Musk um, acquired the, uh, the platform Twitter. Jack Dorsey demanding the social media platform address its lack of music licenses. So this is back in 2021. This is being um, sent to, to Twitter and asking them to address this issue. Even further back, it says in December of 2020, the RIAA suggested during a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on Intellectual Property hearing that infri- infringement on Twitter equates to, quote, piracy on an industrial massive scale, unquote. So, wow, again, um, a lot of interested parties and groups all the way back to December of 2020 have been um, kind of issuing these warnings against Twitter's platform for these these infringements. So there's a history here, and apparently Twitter hasn't done anything to this point to um, alleviate these problems. Twitter reportedly considered licensing music rights from the three major record companies prior to Elon Musk's takeover, but according to a report from the New York Times in March, those talks stalled after Musk acquired the platform. Okay, so according to this article, back when uh, Jack Dorsey owned Twitter, talks were starting, I guess. They were considering licensing music, but apparently they never did, and once Elon took over, those talks stopped, but... It's just interesting that even when Jack Dorsey owned Twitter, that nothing was being done. Apparently, the wheels got were starting to move, but they didn't take action. And so even to this point, uh, not, nothing has happened. I find it interesting because, and I know we shouldn't talk about politics, but back during the presidential race, you know, when um, Trump was in the news everywhere because Twitter had canceled his account, you know, they no longer allowed him to tweet because of, of, you know, the uproar about his political campaign and, you know, his cult of personality. And, you know, no matter what you think of the guy, um, that's for a different podcast. But, you know, Twitter was able to take down his account effectively and prevent him from tweeting on their account. So they're obviously able to stop these things from happening, happening. But I guess music piracy isn't high up on the list of priorities for this this organization or this platform because nothing's been done. Um, this has just gone, um, gone on like without, you know, without any restriction for, for years. And it's been, um, known, um, not only in, in Twitter, but, uh, to Twitter, but, uh, in the music industry. So nothing's been, been, it's kind of unmitigated. So, uh, let's see. This continues. While Twitter began its life as a short text-based messaging platform, okay, that's how I remember it, it widened its business model to compete more aggressively with other social media sites for users, advertisers, and subscribers. Okay, so that makes sense. So originally Twitter started out, again, it was, I think, 140 characters only, limited to text-based messaging. But uh, obviously they felt the, the pressure from other um, other social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook, they had to be in competition with them for users. And obviously, in order to gain 
or to garner advertisers and, and subscribers, they had to expand their platform a little bit. So that might be why um, there's more music and video on there. But I, again, I got to get back on that platform and see how this is being used because I just can't picture it. Um, I'm remembering the, the good old days, I guess, uh, of Twitter when it was in its infancy. Um, but that makes sense why they would have expanded to keep up with their competition. Uh, by design, the Twitter platform became a hot destination for multimedia content. I, that sounds so funny to me. With music-infused video being of particular and paramount importance. Again, I can't picture video on Twitter, but um, uh, let me know, guys. I, I want to know how you're using Twitter to host your videos. Um, rival social media platforms like Facebook, YouTube Shorts, and Snapchat. Okay, there's a new one they mentioned have entered into licensing deals with publishers. So all these other platforms, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and now they mention Snapchat as another one. These guys all have uh, music licensing deals, but what is going on with Twitter? Um, again, are you guys using Twitter a lot to, or to promote your music? And how are you using it? Are you just using the text-based messaging? Like, are you telling your fans, like, hey, this is what I'm up to, this is what I'm working on, or this is where I'm going to be playing soon? Or are you actually sharing your your content on there, your music or your videos? Um, or are you finding that other people, other users are, are posting your music? I'd, re I'd be really interested to know what your experience is out there uh, as our listeners and uh, as artists and creatives, are you seeing this yourself? Uh, let's see, the article continues. This is a quote, I guess, from the litigators. Twitter knows perfectly well that neither it nor users of the Twitter platform have secured licenses for the rampant use of music being made on its platform, as complained of herein. Nonetheless, in connection with its highly interactive platform, Twitter consistently and knowingly hosts and streams infinite infringing copies of musical compositions, including ones uploaded by or streamed to Tennessee residents and including specific infringing material that Twitter knows is infringing. So there's there's singling out Tennessee here because that's the state in which this lawsuit was issued. Um, it says Twitter also routinely continues to provide specific known repeat infringers with use of the Twitter platform as they continue to infringe. Okay, so the, the the litigation or the lawsuit is stating that or claiming that Twitter knows, well knows, um, that certain users are repeat um, offenders, so to speak, or infringers, and Twitter is not doing anything about it. They're not stopping them from using their platform. So again, like I said earlier, Trump was really high profile. They were, and it probably actually was helpful for Twitter um, when they shut down Trump's account because it, you know, even bad news is good news in terms of um, getting getting you know hits in in the public sphere. So even though that was controversial with uh, all the the Trump followers and fans, um, it thrust Twitter into the spotlight and got them free publicity. So I don't know. I guess these music copyright infringers aren't high profile enough for Twitter to do anything about that. Uh, it continues, Twitter profits handsomely from this infringement of publishers' repertoires of musical compositions. All right, so I, wanna, I want to see how, how they're, they're saying that Twitter profits from this. Um, the audio and audiovisual recordings embodying those compositions attract and retain users, both account holders and visitors, and drive engagement, thereby furthering Twitter's lucrative advertising business and other revenue streams. Okay. So that makes sense. So what they're saying is by including this content that is 
copyright protected. So music, um, music videos, that type of content, they're not only attracting users to their platform for so those people can consume this stuff, but it's also driving up engagement, which means that um, advertisers and other revenue streams who want to um, advertise on or, uh, Twitter, the Twitter platform, they're going to be more likely to do that. Um, if so many people are using tw the Twitter platform, then advertisers will be attracted to that, and then that's going to bring more revenue to Twitter. So that makes sense why they would want to have so much content on there and why maybe they'd be turning a blind eye to these copyright infringements if that's what's actually happening. Um, it goes on, Can Twitter refuses to stop the rampant infringement of copyrighted music, including publishers' musical compositions, because it knows that the Twitter platform is more popular and profitable with such infringement. So they're just continuing to say the same thing. With more of that content on there, more people want to use it to... Uh, to um, consume this uh, material, and then that just draws more advertisers to the Twitter platform. Uh, digging a little bit deeper into the complaint against Twitter, the NMPA stated, uh, or st started, excuse me, sending infringement notices to Twitter on a weekly basis beginning in December 2021. So that was, what, two years ago? On a weekly basis, they've been sending notices to Twitter. So this has been going on for quite a few years, guys, and um, pretty frequently. Since then, according to the legal filing, those NMPA notices have already notified Twitter of, get this, over 300,000 infringing tweets in the aggregate. So that that's not small change. They're, they're not talking about just a handful of people who are uploading someone else's music. This is hundreds of thousands of potential infringing um, infringements on copyrighted material. Um, each NMPA notice has contained thousands of links to specific tweets that include unauthorized copies of publishers' musical compositions. So that's pretty interesting. I, I'm glad to see that there, there are specifics here because it'd be different if the litigation was just saying that, like, okay, since Twitter as a platform doesn't have these licensing agreements, that there is a potential problem here for copyright infringement, but they're actually sending um, links with specific tweets and saying, like, here is an actual infringement, and they're actually showing um, not generically but specifically um, examples of this. So, okay, I mean that that says there's something to this. Um, the in, the infringing tweets listed in the NMPA notices are just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the overall infringement of publishers' copyrighted works on the Twitter platform. So they're saying there's more here to the problem than just. Um, these notices, which are just the tip of the iceberg. Um, the plaintiffs in this case are not the only copyright holders whose works have been, have been, and are being exploited without authorization on Twitter. Twitter has received hundreds of thousands of notices or more per year from other copyright holders, including from others who hold rights in musical compositions and from those who hold rights in sound recordings. So this sounds like a huge problem for, for Twitter. Um, as a social media platform. So it's not just the people, um, they're saying that the copyright holders of these works, it's also um, those who hold rights to the musical compositions. So that might not just be the, the artists that are performing them, but the people who've wrote, uh, who have written the, the compositions, and also who hold the rights to the sound recordings. So this is affecting a huge part of the, the music industry. And uh, finally, the article says, publishers are seeking up to $150,000 for each work infringed on. 
So that's that's a lot of money. 150 well, it seems like a lot of money. $150,000 per infringement. But I got a question about this. So just say that these the the litigators, the people who are suing Twitter are able to collect this $150,000 per um, per work that's infringed upon. I'm wondering who gets that money. So does that just go back to um, the the publisher or the record label if there is one? Um, what about the independent Christian musician or, or independent any kind of musician? Not just not not necessarily just Christian, but like if you're an indie artist out there and your work has been infringed upon copyright wise, are you seeing any of this money, or is this just for the people who are on those three labels that Twitter supposedly had started conversations with about licensing? Um, I'm really curious about that. And even if you are an artist on a label and they win, they win this suit and get $150,000 per infringement. Like, does the label get all that money, or is the artist seeing any of that? I'm really curious about that. Um, so interesting article, and like I said, th- this seems like a big problem for for Twitter and also for the music industry. And again, I have to admit, I, I don't use Twitter anymore. I haven't for years, and I was not aware that this has become a big platform for music and music videos and that kind of content. So that's a bit surprising to me. Um, I tend to fi- follow the mus- musicians that I follow in different um or different platforms different venues so um mainly facebook instagram also youtube obviously but uh twitter that's 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 a new one to me again i would love to hear from our listeners you guys that are actively out there promoting your your stuff on twitter um let us know let us know your experience i'd love to hear your stories maybe we can share some of them on this podcast on future episodes how are you using Twitter to promote your music? And um, are you noticing or experiencing any of these issues that this article has brought up? Um, really interesting stuff and like to keep um, an eye on this and see how this develops in the next few weeks and months. Yeah, let us know. Info at notespiremusic.com is our email. And reach out to us and let us know your story. All right, so we're going to end this session with uh, the answers to those trivia questions I had asked you guys earlier. Did you remember the questions, and uh, did you figure out the answers? All right, let's let's give it a try. So, number one question: Nicknamed the Sergeant Pepper of Christianity, this classic recording launched Christian rock back in 1969. Okay, anybody know the recording? The answer is "Upon This Rock," released on Capitol Records. Larry Norman's counterculture classic includes favorites like. I Wish We'd All Been Ready, and Sweet, Sweet Song of Salvation, which Larry says he wrote in his sleep. <laughs> oh, it's interesting. I don't remember this by name. Upon Upon This Rock is the album, and I guess a couple of the tunes are I Wish We'd Already Been Ready and Sweet, Sweet Song of Salvation. But writing songs in your sleep, yeah, that, that's happened to several of us, I bet. Um, Paul Gibbs, my partner here at Notes Byron Music, he had a song like that. He woke up. And he heard the the melody and some of the music, and and um, he had to write it down quick and get down to the to the studio to start recording his ideas before he lost it, and um, that became a, a piece of music actually that he and I collaborated on called "The Word Returns." Um, you can hear that on his YouTube channel. Um, just look for Paul Gibbs music, and that song is out there. And I bet a lot of you have had issues or issues, yeah, events like that or. Um, yeah, that experience of waking up from a dream and, and having like the idea from a song, whether it was just a song title or lyrics or even a tune, um, that's always cool when that happens. 
Okay, question number two. This group was affectionately nicknamed the Yellow and Black Attack due to their bumblebee-colored spandex outfits. All right, anybody remember the band Striper from the 80s? Um, I guess they might still be active, but that's when I really remember them. Uh, it says, with Calling on You, this the song title, Calling on You hitting number one on MTV in the mid-80s, Striper became the premier Christian metal band of the day. Yeah, I remember this. Um, I was, uh, I grew up in the 80s, and I remember the band Striper. And uh, I, first of all, I'd never heard like heavy metal Christian music before, so that was a shock. But then seeing these guys in the yellow and black, um, like it says, spandex, spandex outfits, um, again, that's a sign of the time. That's classic. Uh, I, I remember more more popularly their song um, "To Hell with the Devil," which I think was an an album that I sadly have to say I had on cassette tape. Yeah, I actually owned a Striper album, but um, that was many moons ago. All right, hopefully you guys figured it out. That was Striper. All right, and then our third question: the song "My Father's Eyes" brought this teenager into the Christian music spotlight back in the 1970s. Did you get it? Was it Amy Grant? Amy Grant was the artist. And it says, Amy went on to platinum-selling success and number one hits on the national billboard charts as she became the first true, quote-unquote, superstar of Christian music. And yeah, I got to say that. Um, I first started listening to Christian music, I'll say, in the 1980s. And um, I I remember names like her, Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, um, Stephen Curtis Chapman. But my sister, my older sister, was a big fan of Amy Grant, had most of her albums, if not all of them, um, again, on cassette tape, um, showing my age here, but uh, she she was all over the, the radio stream, um, the way, radio waves in terms of Christian music, and then had some crossovers, actually, over into secular music, and then later turned secular, and I, I remember that happening as well, but uh, My Father's Eyes, I, I remember that song very well, and um, a lot of great hits from her in the early days of kind of like mainstream i'll say christian music so there you go three three trivia questions and uh hopefully it gave you guys some um food for thought and you probably just used google or maybe you already knew the answers um definitely i i knew striper and amy grant but i didn't know the first one so that was interesting all right so thank you guys so much for joining me for this episode of the artist impact podcast uh i hope you enjoyed it i hope you learned something new um, we love putting these together for you guys and we learn something new every time we do it. Paul and I love researching this stuff and finding things that, um, they, ha- they have an impact on us. So we like to share it with you. So we hope that you guys will come back and join us again. Um, find us online at notespiremusic.com. You can email us at info at info at notespiremusic.com. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube at, uh, notespiremusic TV. So we'd love to hear from you guys and uh, we'll see you next time. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Until then, bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for the Artist Impact Podcast, a production of Notespire Music, LLC. At Notespire Music, we empower independent Christian musicians to grow their God-given music potential by refining their craft and extending their music ministry reach. Notespire Music, helping you gain confidence, grow your talent, and advance your impact. For more information, visit notespiremusic.com. And join us next time for the Notespire Music Artist Impact.